This morning, we are picking up our sermon series, Journeying Through the Book of Acts, after a two-week break. So for anyone who's joined us along the way, or just has a poor memory like me, the Book of Acts is our history of how the message of who Jesus is and how we can come to know him spread from his original group of followers to communities of people who know him and worship him all around the world. It's the story told across 28 chapters of the Bible book of how Jesus promised to his friends and followers in one verse, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, would then be carried out. You'll receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, that is witness to me, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Today we're picking up that story at the end of Acts chapter 19, the beginning of chapter 20, so if you have a Bible or Bible device, why don't you join me there just now, and I will talk for another minute to give you grace to find it. Just right in the middle after the Gospels, yeah, great. Acts chapter 20, we find Paul in the city of Ephesus on the west coast of what today we call Turkey following a riot that Jeremy helpfully talked us through a couple of weeks ago. The church there had been doing really well. So well, in fact, that people who had previously had loyalty to and investment in other spiritual practices and the economy that went with those spiritual practices, they'd made a statement that Jesus was Lord, actually, and they changed their behavior and their spending to match it. The city's leaders and their economy, built on the worship of an idol called Artemis, were angry. And so we saw what looked to be a city-wide response. Let's have map time, shall we? Will it work? Yay, great. So, here is a picture of uh, the eastern half of the Mediterranean. I've even got a laser. Will that wiggle? Yeah, look at that. That's great. So there's Judea and Samaria and the end of, oh, no, the, end of the earth are a bit wider than the screen. Uh, and then we've got modern-day Turkey up there with all the regions that make that up. And then there's a little bit of Greece. Lovely. After that riot, Paul decided it was time to keep Paul decided it was time to keep moving. So with the help of this map, let's see where we are. Now zooming into the Turkey and the Greece area on the left. Brilliant. Thank you. Let's track his movement. Paul encourages the church in Ephesus, which with the help of my wiggly laser is about there-ish, and then travels through Macedonia, following that red line. Woo. Up through modern-day northeastern Greece down into southern Greece, we think the city of Corinth, where he stays for a short while with the church there, and he sends a pretty important letter. Now, he'd intended to get a boat back to Syria from there, but changes his plans and goes back up the way he came, as you can see, journeys back around to just beyond Ephesus, over here in Miletus, where we'll leave him at the end of this morning for Caitlin to pick us up next week. Along that last bit of the journey there, listen out for a Berean from Berea. Listen out for some Thessalonians from Thessalonica. Listen out for the church at Troas, which is there-ish. And then Paul and friends ending up at Miletus. So, now that you can picture these a little bit better, let's hear the story from the book of Acts. Where's Danielle, my faithful reader? Hello, friend. Do you want to come and read the Bible to us? Lovely stuff. Let's get you a microphone. So this is in the English Standard Version. Ah, thanks. And you can follow it along on the screen. Thanks, friend. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, 
he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mycelene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Amen and lovely. Thank you so much, mate. I'll take that back from you. Lovely. It's always fun when you can give someone a Bible passage that's full of excellent names, isn't it? I love, though, that the Bible contains these travel details. They could so easily have been left out. The Lord could have designed his book so that we had a load of do's and don'ts, even a do this to have a relationship with Jesus sort of do's and don'ts. But that's not what we have. We've got a really human, really real record of how these Jesus-loving communities grew and spread the message and the miracles that God sent across the world. I just think that's great. And I love that we have the details of the real places, even the lengths of time in these places and the traveling between them. It gives me a sense of this story being grounded. We're not talking about some fairy tale or some abstract philosophical idea. We're talking about real people in real places having real experiences of God. I find that really encouraging as we try to work out our own relationships with God in the real streets that we live and work and have our being on. These guys were just mucking about like we were with the Lord. I've got this imagined picture of Paul that when I think about him and what he did, a guy who marches with determination to a new city, goes straight for the Jewish community there, sort of barges in and says, great news guys, your Messiah, the Messiah has come. And he preaches a bit, really powerfully, really smart, and a few people get it and join him, and a few others kind of get their back up, and somehow or other he gets thoroughly beaten up or left for dead, covered in stones or something. And then he gets up again, dusts himself off, and goes right back into the city. Spends a while teaching the, the young church there, and then after a while, and probably some more death threats and maybe a short stay in prison, uh, some miracles as well thrown in, just a sprinkling. He's like, yep, yeah, we're done here, next one, and he strides off into the future. Great. That's the picture that I conjure up of Paul whenever we talk about him and what he did. And honestly, I reckon it's a fair summary of the sort of stuff that he did do. 
bursting into a city to let them know that Jesus, the Christ, is God. Introduce them to him. Trailblaze for the gospel. Pioneer. A church planter like a boss for the kingdom of God. But that's not what's going on in today's passage. This is a lovely little section of the book of Acts that's so easy to overlook or to hurry past. Looking for the next miracle story, the next pioneering church plant. Today we get to see a little bit of Paul taking time to invest in the church communities he's already established. So, what does he do to invest in them? Challenge them? Sure. Teach them? Certainly. But encourage them is the thing that comes up again and again in today's passage. And it's so important and so easy to just skim over and think, oh, encouragement, that's just Christian nicety. Let's get on to the meat. So as we look a little bit at Paul's travels today, the main thing I want to talk to you about is encouragement. In verse 1, Paul makes sure that his farewell to the Ephesians church is filled with encouragement. In verse 2, the thing that Paul gives to the churches across Macedonia and the other regions nearby is encouragement. Paul spends three months at Corinth, and whilst there, we're pretty sure that's where he wrote his letter to the Romans, the, the church in Rome, the book of Romans in your Bible, which is also pretty encouraging. Here is the first bit of the book of Romans. After Paul sent his greeting, here isn't, but in a click or two's time, Ray, thank you so much, friends. Uh, Paul greets them, and then uh, he goes straight into the meat, verse 8, saying, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed around the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, guys. Let me encourage you with that. I pray for you guys all the time, he says. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This letter rich with encouragement. That's his heart in sending it. This is what Paul's up to in this section of the book of Acts. So then in verses 4 to 6, of our passage today in the book of Acts, Paul takes his large ministry team of traveling church representatives with him on his journey. They hang out. Oh, can we go to the next one? Would that be all right? Thank you so much. They hang out in Troas and encourage the people there. More on that a wee bit later. And when they then move on, in verses 16 and 17, we see Paul avoiding time-consuming conflict with the city of Ephesus but as we'll see when Caitlin picks up this passage next week for us, even when Paul takes a sensible detour to avoid starting a riot, he still makes sure to arrange to meet with the church leaders there, just in an out-of-city retreat, so that he can encourage them. Sorry. Encouragement is what Paul is all about in this passage. In fact, this whole missionary journey this tour of Turkey and Greece is more than just sharing the news of Jesus, as essential as that is. Paul is on a mission to collect an offering, a financial gift to take back to the struggling church in Jerusalem. N.T. Wright digs into this uh, in his book on Paul's life that I really like, so I recommend it to you. And he observes that Paul is working to achieve lots of things at once through this gift. He's making sure that the church in Jerusalem is encouraged that it has 
many friendly, supportive sister churches. Just look how far the gospel spread. It's great. And he's making sure that the churches that Paul has planted around the Mediterranean are encouraged. Yeah, we're part of something bigger. We get to contribute to the Jerusalem church. Wow. It's a series of visits to churches to encourage each of them, all part of a bigger plan of encouragement for all of them. A couple of weeks ago, when Rhoda and Karen came from Carlisle Vineyard to visit us, I shared that this sense of connection with the wider church family is just one of my favorite things about ministry. I love it. It's so encouraging to me. It's also why I really recommend the Vineyard Scottish Leaders Conference to anyone who's still undecided. It's just so great to meet brothers and sisters who love worshiping Jesus and to hang out with them. So encouragement, good. But what is it to encourage? Why is it important and how should we do it? Let me take a little detour off the passage for a moment to talk about encouragement. Our word encouragement or encourage comes from kur, meaning heart, and we could say give heart to or enhearten. The word used in the original Greek of this passage uh, can be translated loads of different ways, from call someone alongside you to exhort or urge or strengthen or teach. There's, there's loads of different ways of uh, opening that up, but they're all along that vein. What Paul seems to be doing is going along and strengthening, giving heart to, urging onwards his friends and fellow Christians, reminding them that they're not alone, reminding them of the truth that God is for them, that Jesus is with them, and that they're called to live new lives in Jesus, even against the opposition that that inevitably brings. And he strengthens them in their courage to keep going. Well, if we put it like that, I need encouraging. I think we all do. Like my mental picture of Paul, I'm convinced that we should be proactively taking the message of Jesus out there with us to people who don't know him yet. And we should be introducing those people to the God who loves them. That's a given. It's our mission and it's our priority. We are, as Matthew 28 records for us, we are to go and make disciples of all nations. Great. But, or and, along the way, whilst we're doing it, we need to pay careful attention to ourselves and to the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made us overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. It's dead precious to Jesus, his church. That's me borrowing a little bit from Caitlin's passage next week. And as some translations put it, and an excellent two-part sermon from Toby on our website puts it, Look after yourselves and the flock. We need to be making disciples, but we also need to be sustaining disciples, deepening our discipleship, carrying each other through the tough times that living for Jesus in this world brings. Heck, even that living in this world brings. Or to put it another way, how many of us who have given our lives to Jesus at the moment that we decided to make him the Lord of our life, we said, yep, that's me, thanks. I don't need any more input from the church. I've got this town covered. I'll be checking back in when I've got three churches established. Yeah? Was that your story? Or perhaps do we need our brothers and sisters? I'm convinced the Christian life is not a story of instant transition from brokenness to wholeness. From receiving Jesus and his power to suddenly being an unstoppable force for him that never struggles. And I reckon you might agree with me on that. 
It's a story of being taken out of the kingdom of brokenness to the kingdom of wholeness. And Jesus working to apply that wholeness throughout all of us, which takes time and carries bruises. It is a transition from being lost to being found. And it's helping others to find the way, not as superheroes, but as fellow travelers who have seen the lighthouse and we can take our friends towards him. One beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. But the bread's good. The church is not a fortress for the strong, especially not the sort of fortress where we shout insults at those on the outside of it. The church is a hospital for the weak, where the very ones of us receiving God's treatment are told also to turn around to the person next to them and bind up their wounds while we're at it. There's loads of great stuff in Acts. We've been preaching through this um, well, for a wee while now. Um, and there's just such encouragement, such challenge, such spurring us on. But I really felt today we needed to take some time out and just check in. You doing all right, guys? I think there's a few of us with a, a few bruises. And Jesus knows. And he loves you. And he's got you. It's okay to be wounded. Christian, you are not asked to pretend that everything is okay. Christian, you are not asked to fake it until you make it. So I'm getting moved, and um, it's, not because, it's not because of anything else that's going on, except that I just feel like we just need a bit of a rest. Just need a bit of time together. You're not asked to go it alone whilst pretending to your church friends and your home group that you've got it all together. It's okay to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm wounded, actually. This is the reason why it was important for Paul. Paul, the great evangelist, the great apostle, the great debater and church planter, the reason it was important for Paul to spend time encouraging the churches that he planted was that sometimes we need encouragement. And Jesus knew. In Jesus' life and ministry, wandering around Judea 2,000 years ago, he had great grace and great understanding for the fact that we're far from perfect and things are going far from perfectly. We're carrying baggage. We need constant growth and support. Jesus, in his approach to the people who were in pain and in need, was the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's words. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench, which is great news for those of us who are bruised reeds and candles that are only just still alight. Jesus knew, and Jesus still knows, if you are struggling this morning, friend, if you are more in need of being looked after by God than you are ready to go and save the world, then great news. Jesus is for you. Jesus also spent a lot of time going off on his own to spend time with God the Father in prayer. And how often do we even picture that as Jesus striding off boldly as the superhero? Hey guys, I'm just going to go and pray for a bit. Not because I need it, but I'm kind of modeling this for you weaker ones. Yeah? Do it like this, but, you know, with a less deep voice. <laughs> Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, spent hours weeping, sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we don't have the content of the rest of his prayer times, but I suspect they weren't all, I feel perfect. I'm convinced that Jesus, who was fully human as well as fully God, needed that time with God the Father needed that prayer time to be refilled and restored just like we do. 
and that our reason for doing the same isn't because Jesus did it and told us to, therefore we have to, but because Jesus did it and told us to, it's good for us. Almost as if God isn't some boss in the sky giving out random orders, but in fact the loving, caring Father who is trying to invite us into the best possible lives. Let me make an observation for our own relationships with God. We need two main things to keep and deepen our relationship with him. Time with him and time with his people. When we are feeling discouraged, when we are lacking strength, when we need enheartening, we're not cast aside and left alone, even if that might be how we feel. The God who loves you enough to die for you, to be raised to life for you, to reach out for you, longs to spend time with you. Sit with him. And if you're not feeling close enough to him to feel him speaking to you in that moment, that's okay. He wrote you a letter. It's often wrapped in black letter and it says Bible on the front. Can I recommend the Psalms? Jesus retreating to the mountainsides to pray and inviting us to come away with him and invest in our relationship with him isn't some religious stick to beat you with that you're not putting yet another hour-long commitment into your day. It's not some duty to perform to be a good Christian. It's the very thing we were made for. Time with the God who loved us into being. And like the tantruming toddler that doesn't know what it wants, but it wants it now, Sometimes we just need to sit on his knee and be held. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6, and I recommend the rest of it as well, says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in. Behind and before, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. The Lord tucks you in. But sometimes, sometimes we don't have the strength to remember that. Sometimes we need our friends to gather around us and strengthen our hearts. That's okay. It's part of God's design too. Have you heard of this really good idea he had called uh, The Church? It's really handy, actually. It's great. Turns out there's a load of other people, as well as you, who are on the same journey of a relationship with God, also living amongst the brokenness and the pain of this world. And they've had some helpful experiences that you could get really encouraged by. I am convinced that spending time with God, worshipping him, getting to know him through prayer and living in his Bible is essential for healthy and healing living. And I'm convinced that spending time with God, with his people, worshipping him together and experiencing him showing up amongst us, getting to know him at work, amongst us in our prayer ministry for each other and living in his Bible together, I'm convinced this is essential for us living life and life in all its fullness. As a church, we really emphasize home groups as places where we want to do life honestly, vulnerably, and encouragingly with each other. It's where we take communion 
communion, the family togetherness meal of God's people, clues in the name. It's where we wrestle with what God says to us in his written word. It's where we learn to minister to each other in prayer. It's where we pastor each other in this church. So if you're not in a home group, can I exhort, urge, and generally encourage you to place yourself in a position to be encouraged in your relationship with Jesus amongst your fellow journeying Jesus followers? It's a model of Jesus following that goes right back to the beginning, and we reckon it's pretty good. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. There's a few of us struggling at the moment. Can I encourage you, friends, church, to encourage one another? Pick someone, even. Let's get really practical. Pick someone who you think might need enheartening. Even better, ask the Lord for someone who might need enheartening. And give them some thought through prayer and encouragement. Prayed through encouragement. Yes, let's be nice to each other, of course. But I mean a wee bit more than that. I mean look to encourage them. Make it a meaningful thing that will strengthen their heart. That is your homework for today. Today I've spent a lot more time talking about encouraging rather than going verse by verse through the passages I often like to do because I think that's what the Lord wanted to say to us. And I said that, I wrote this uh, days ago before I felt what was going on in the room as well. But you need to know uh, that the Lord is for you, friends. Also, there is a glorious and really funny indeed story in today's passage that I just have to touch on before I come into land. <laughs> I mean, it's great, right? Verse 7. Paul and his multi-church ministry team arrive at Troas, and they meet together to share communion, except, we read, they didn't get to communion because Paul keeps talking until midnight. This is verse 7 of the passage. Thank you, marvelous tech team who are busting a gut today. They meet for communion. They don't get there. Paul keeps yakking. Young Eutychus sat in a window, can't hack it and falls asleep, <laughs> and falls asleep three stories and dies. Luke, who writes Acts, makes some excuses for Paul, and I'm grateful as a preacher for that. Oh yeah, there was loads of lamps, see? It was all a bit warm and smoky in there, and it definitely wasn't the long, boring preaching. <laughs> I write. <laughs> Thanks, Luke. Nice try, mate, on behalf of preachers everywhere. I think that the Lord includes this story in Scripture to make sure that preachers have to read it out and see the faces of their congregations as <laughs> the eyebrows raise. Yeah, good. Paul does a fantastic miracle. He raises Eutychus to life, and everyone is delighted. Then they take communion at about midnight, right? And then, in verse 11... <laughs> He converses with them a long while until daybreak. He pulls an all-nighter. He just carries on. Oh, great. We've done communion. We've done a healing miracle. Fantastic. Shall we just carry on? Great. It's like he didn't get the hint. <laughs> I've only had people fall asleep twice during my preaching so far, uh, and I think I'm proud of that. Except that one of them was in a room with only five people, and when one of the five people you're preaching to does the full head back mouth open, <laughs> it's not subtle and it's not encouraging. 
The other time was in a room about this size, and the poor guy was sat at the back and the middle seat, and he just couldn't keep his eyes open, which you know, I didn't mind, except that he began to snore <laughs> pretty loudly. <laughs> row by row, there was <laughs> look at that guy. <laughs> Yeah, we had to stop, and it was about the time that England were in the, the World Cup and we were playing Iceland, and Iceland, they did a oosh, like a hand clap. Got the whole room to do that, to be like, yeah, wake up. <laughs> These things keep you humble as a preacher. I don't think that Paul was just chatty, though. I think he had so much to say, so much to pass on of what he'd experienced and learned about Jesus that he just wanted to make sure his friends received it too. I relate, Paul, including having your friends ripping you about it. Paul loved to see people discover that Jesus was Lord, that God was for them. He loved to see lives changed by people living with Jesus as their Lord. And he loved to encourage. And, and I love this, the church in Troas received their lad, Eutychus, back to life in verse 12 and were not a little comforted. (laughs) Such a British understatement. (laughs) And that irony I love, is that the word comforted here is the same word that we, encourage, that we translate as encouraged in verses 1 and 2. It is wonderful that God used Paul to show off his mighty, miraculous power. It's even better that he's still doing it today. It's wonderful that God used Paul not only to set up churches, but to invest in them and encourage them. And it's even better that we're still following that pattern today. So friends, as we do turn and pray for each other just now, What do you need? What enheartening do you need? What strength from Jesus do you need today? What miraculous reaching into your life from the Holy Spirit do you need? What can we pray for for you today? We're going to begin singing worship to Jesus in just a moment. And when we do, if you would like prayer for any specific situation or issue then we would love to pray for you right here. If you'd like to meet with God, for him to bless you and have his favor rest on you, we would love to pray for you and invite him to do just that. And here's a PS, here's a footer. If you are feeling the nudge to be an encourager, to take God's presence and power into the hearts of those around you, if something along those lines stirred in you this morning, let us bless that in you. Let us ask Jesus to equip you for all that he's doing in you. Come forward and we'd love to pray for you too. So, why don't you stand? I would love to pray for us. He knows. He knows what you need. You might even want to ask him because he might know stuff you need that you haven't worked out yet. I will pray, but we're going to take a moment of just waiting on him first. Just an opportunity for you to receive from the Lord whatever he might be saying to you or doing in you just now.
would you come, Holy Spirit, in fresh and fresh and new and greater waves, in more power and more presence. Thank you, Lord, that almighty as you are, you are so gentle with us. We praise you, Lord God, for your kindness, for your love for us. Thank you for your heart to bless, to grow, to enhearten us. Would you be speaking, Lord, truths straight out of heaven into our hearts and minds just now? Would those of us who don't even <laughs> have the experience often of hearing you speak hear you this morning? I was um, slightly moved earlier, as you noticed, um, and it was just a strong sense of the Father's heart. If you, just, if you just need to spend time with the Father, with the one who would scoop up his precious child, he's for you this morning. So, whatever you would like some prayer for, we'll worship right away, come now. Uh, we've got a few things that we'll share with you in, in just a moment, but um, we're going to start with worshipping first.